IndieCast is presented by Uproxx's Indie Mixtape. Hello everyone and welcome to IndieCast. On this show we talk about the biggest indie news of the week, we review albums and we hash out trends. In this episode we review new albums by Idols and Courtney Barnett. My name is Stephen Hyden, and I'm joined by my friend and co-host, the person who misspelled Japan droids on the Shaky Knees Festival poster, Ian Cohen. Ian, how are you? I'm saying, man, you cannot buy the kind of publicity. Like, the fact that they have Japan droids playing Celebration Rock is one thing, but the fact that they spelled it wrong has put this festival in the limelight in a way that properly spelling it couldn't they should do that they should do this stuff more often just especially with like these ones that look like eye charts like i don't know if you saw the tree fort music festival poster that oh yeah and that like that's really hard yeah i look at that and wonder are we on this like did did (laughs) uprock did uprocks go a little bit like outside of our scope to like say hey we're gonna expand our live footprint to uh the, the the mountain time zone you know you've You've been hitting uh, the Midwest and the uh, and Canada really hard, but like the the Boise footprint, like that is IndieCast territory to be conquered. Well, I I feel like we should be booked at Shaky Knees. Oh yeah, I mean, I've I've already reached out to this festival and offered some IndieCast sponsorship because this bill <laughs> is so up our alley. Oh. And by the way, I should say that when, when we talk about Japan droids being misspelled, they they misspelled it uh, Japan droids. So they added an N. Between the I and the D. Yeah. Understandable. Uh, you know, who, 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 yeah, who and, amongst us has it? And, and really, that's good publicity for them, too, because I, I feel like the fact that it was misspelled, it just generated so much more conversation about them coming back. They're going to do Celebration Rock. Am I wrong to speculate that they'll probably be doing a, a Celebration Rock tour next year? I mean, it seems like this won't be a one-off. I don't know. I have, I have not heard anything about that. That's just me guessing. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I've been to Central Park in Atlanta before, and like, by the way, like, morning, my morning jacket and death cap for cutie, like, holding down the Sunday. I, I, I just think of, like, well, what it would have been. I mean, let's just run through this. We have like Green Day's a headliner, uh, the, the the Japan Droids on on uh, Friday, and Travis, uh, Travis as well. Travis for for the Ian Cohen side. I like Travis yeah. too. Uh, you have Nine Inch Nails as a headliner. Yeah. You have a King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard. You have Kurt Vile, uh, Gang Abuse, and Guided by Voices on the same Oof. day on Saturday. That 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 is catering to me. That is the Steve and Biden Phantom Zone. Planet. Like you, I didn't even see this the first time around. Oh my! That's true. Yes, fit. they're in the small type. <laughs> uh, Jason Schwartzman is long gone, though, right? Like he wouldn't be at that gig. Would he? Uh, or maybe he would be. I don't know. I don't. I, I. Oh, you know, I'm looking at the website right now, and they spelled they they re, they corrected the Japan droids uh, spelling. I'm a little disappointed. Okay. Yeah, uh, of course. Japanese breakfast is also yep. playing on. Can't on have Saturday. a festival without them. Yeah, she is. She's cleaning yeah. up. Uh, good for her. Uh, uh, Destroyer is also real playing. small playing type. On Sunday. Yeah, uh, su- uh, Destroyer ranked below Dirty Honey. Yes, and the Garden. Who's who's a uh, happy fit? I have no fucking clue. No idea. <laughs> a pup is also playing yeah. on that Sunday. Jesus, Jesus, Louise. This is we need to be in very small type here on one of these days. I think so. Shaky knees. If you're listening. Reach out to us. Reach out. Our interns will arrange yeah. a Zoom call. I never need a reason to go to Atlanta. I I would I was sort of hoping this would be in the fall so I could you know book it around a Georgia football game. But um, in the meantime, like I, I'm more than happy to relive relive some version of me living in Georgia in 2005 with that my morning jacket, death cab. Oh my god! Sunday night. Yeah. Oh god. And that and that'll be early spring. Well, I guess I guess it'll be like the thick of spring. Yeah. Because it's late April, early May. Uh, yeah, please hook us up. I'd love to go. Yeah, to that. well, we um, you asked about like the Japan droids like touring Celebration Rock, and you know maybe, uh, but I would God, I would just love for like a sideshow to have Japan droids play Celebration Rock at the Forty Watt in Athens. Like, I know that oh, like man. it. I'm even when you look at like what Central Park looks like, it's wide open, it's pretty. This needs to be at like a grimy, like you know, the masquerade or something like that, like something grimy in Atlanta where you can just kind of wild out and you know, there's no like drinks are free. This is it's a I'm happy that Japan Droids still uh like music enough to play it live, but like we need to really get the essence of Celebration Rock, yeah, that'd be amazing. Yeah. 
I don't know. Hopefully that will happen. I'm, I'm guessing there'll be a tour. Uh, I don't know anything. I've not heard anything. But I don't know. Maybe they, that's may, my feeling. Maybe they went to grad school or something like that. I have no clue what those two are up to. <laughs> well, how are you gonna how are you gonna pay for grad school? You got to do a, a celebration rock tour. You know, the, you know, line the coffers here a little yeah. bit by by playing some dates. I'm just saying. We'll see what happens. I'm hoping I can chalk that one up as a as a correct call on my part. Um, one thing that we need to talk about, and this is something that I. It, it makes me sad to talk about this, but this is uh, the biggest music story and one of the biggest stories really of like the last week and, and will certainly go down, I think, as a major uh, story that people talk about just for the whole year. And that is, of course, the tragedy that happened at the Astroworld Festival mm. last weekend. And for those who don't know the details, Astroworld uh, was a music festival or it is a music festival in Houston, uh, headlined by Travis Scott. Um, I believe it's happened a couple of times Hasn't it? Astro World, yeah. It's it's not the first time they've done it. There was apparently a crowd surge during Travis Scott's performance, and uh, eight people, including children and people of all ages, were were crushed to death during this surge, and many more people were injured. And uh, right now, uh, there's an investigation going on trying to figure out like how this happened. And I don't know about you, Ian, but I, I've been reluctant to comment about this yeah. or write about it just because I feel like. There's still so much we don't know, uh, and it's such a terrible story. It's not something that should be talked about lightly. Um, it's it's weird to me too because you know when, when we talk about the uh, the worst instances of crowd surges in in music history, you know you have the Who concert mm. that occurred in Cincinnati that was in 1979, where 11 people were killed. Uh, it was before the show; people were trying to rush the doors, basically. Uh, when they were opened, and of course there was also uh, 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 GA seating at that show, festival seating, and that was a big controversy with that with that gig. Twenty one years later, you have the Pearl Jam show at Roskilde, that festival, and nine people were killed at that show. And then now tw- that was twenty one years after the Who. Now we have this Astroworld tragedy. Twenty one years after Pearl Jam, right. it's like this weird twenty one year gap. Um. And I'm sure like once the investigation bears out, and we're already seeing stories coming out about this, but I'm sure Live Nation is going to be implicated in this. Other people involved in organizing, yeah. you know, with the security, uh, with the crowd management, um, the infrastructure of the festival, uh, it just looks like it was a shambles, yeah. essentially. One thing I want to talk to you about, though, mm-hmm. is... Because you know, I've seen this, you know, it, and I'm talking mainly about the music critic world, you know, with think pieces and on social media. Right. I, I feel like there's been a real focus on people saying we shouldn't blame the artist in the situation like this, mm. that it's it's not their fault when things like this happen. And I think I know why people make that caveat, because there's been so many instances in the past like where artists were blamed yeah. for this sort of thing. Woodstock 99 being an example. Uh, Limp Biscuit taking, I think, a, a disproportionate amount of blame for what happened at that festival as opposed to the organizers. And you're already seeing like in right-wing media, especially <laughs> people really ganging up on Travis Scott yeah. um, and not talking so much about the infrastructure and how poorly organized that was. Um, but I do think... That even if artists aren't primarily responsible, I'm wondering, like, what expectations should we as music fans have that if we go to a concert that the person headlining the show is going to do the due diligence to make sure that it's safe? Obviously, Travis Scott isn't in charge of the security. He's not in charge of organizing everything. But in a sense, he's like the CEO of Astroworld. He's the figurehead. And... I guess I don't know how involved he was with that. That's another question that we have. But I, I, I'm just curious about that because I feel like maybe we're a little too quick on the music critic side because we don't want to sound like people from 20 years ago, yeah. like reactionary people. But even if he's not primarily responsible, there is some responsibility. And like, what what do you think that should be? Yeah, I don't know what that is because I think about like artists and – um, you know, their job is to create, to make music, but like putting on a festival or the, like the hand, the hands on sort of things, like they can conceptualize things, but when it comes to the nuts and bolts, like that's outsourced and rightfully so to like experts. Now, 
I also, yeah, I do think that the people are a lot more savvy about how much, uh, say an artist has over these things. And moreover, like people are like, Oh, Travis Scott didn't stop the show. Um, you know, when he saw an ambulance, like I imagine, like you, you hear artists talk about like what it's like to be up on a stage of that sort. And everyone looks like ants and you can't really tell like what's a, mosh pit or like a crowd surfing situation that is similar to any other uh show that travis scott plays i mean his whole deal as far as a live act is recreating like a rock show except he makes hip-hop um you know the danger has been a present element in that music and he encourages it but you know not to the degree that it's been here before but um you know i think a, a reason people maybe aren't as uh up for blaming travis scott specifically is that this is a really uh, convenient opportunity to air out grievances about Live Nation as a whole. Uh, they're monopolizing of the concert space um, and just the recognition that, you know, Travis Scott isn't picking the police force. He's not picking the paramedics. He's not picking the security. Uh, we've seen time and time again throughout history, this is a result of people cutting corners and not anticipating uh, this, this sort, these things happening. And yet, when you look at, I, I I looked up Astro World 2019 just to see you know what like how many times they put it on, and there were you know crowd surges there as well. Um, also, Marilyn Manson played that festival. Just like a side note, um, and yeah, but that was 2019. It was a much oh yeah, absolutely. Time but it's just like it, but you, you totally different oh, era. Totally, but. Um, yeah, I, I like blaming Travis Scott in some way. Like it just seems sort of fruitless in a way that uh, blaming Live Nation does not. Um, yeah, it, I mean, it's it, right now. It's just so, and also Travis Scott made some unforced errors after the fact, like offering a month of a free ther a month free of like a therapy app, um, which you know, once again, the intention was probably good, but the optics not great. Uh, yeah, it's. It's just like a terrible yeah. story all around and people want something to blame to, you know, convince ourselves that, hey, maybe this won't happen again in the future, even though it probably will. With Travis Scott, it's been interesting watching this unfold because it seems like when people talk about him in the situation, they're really focusing on him as an instigator of, of crowd craziness essentially yeah. like that like, like when people want to blame him, that's been the thing. And you, you see some examples of him, you know, talking from the stage and it looks pretty bad on paper. And I tend to review that a little bit skeptically just because, you know, you and I, and I'm sure a lot of people listening to this, we've all been to punk concerts, metal concerts, mm -hmm. any kind of aggressive music concert. And there's usually some point in the show where someone on stage will say, you know, let's get crazy. You know, yeah, like, let's, let's open up this fucking Tear pit. this place apart. Yeah. And it's understood that it doesn't literally mean let's hurt other people. Let's <laughs> yeah. burn this place down. It's just part of the experience. It's venting out energy. So I, I don't, I'm inclined not to take that literally, you know, just when you see it on paper, I guess the point I was trying to make isn't so much about that. It's about going into a festival and actually making yourself more involved in how these things are, are set up and not merely just being someone who's going to swoop in, do your show and, and leave. I mean, and honestly, in the case of Travis Scott with Astroworld, this isn't like Limp Bizkit playing Woodstock 99. I mean, this is his festival. Yeah. So I think there's even more responsibility there. I, the example that I think of is you know, like with Pearl Jam when they played Ross Gildy, which that festival had a reputation for being safe mm. before that horrible disaster happened. I think they actually lowered the attendance that year from 70,000 to 50,000 because they didn't want it to be overcrowded. Um, and they still had that horrible tragedy. Uh, but in the aftermath of that, Pearl Jam made a point to essentially have a, a checklist that at any festival they played, they would review the security force. You know, the, the, the communication channels between security and the stage if something were to happen. All these safety protocols, essentially, that would assure the band that this would be a safe place for their fans mm. to play. And again, I'd like to see more reporting on this. I don't know how common that is for artists when they play a Coachella or Lollapalooza, if that's something that they do. Um, but I feel like, at a minimum, that 
should be something that an artist of a stature like Travis Scott should be expected to do. This isn't like a band on the indie level mm-hmm. making $500 a night and they go to a club on a Tuesday night. You know, they obviously don't have the means to do that type of due diligence. But if you're going to do these massive festivals, which offer a massive payday for these artists, I do think it's worth asking the question if artists are doing enough to make sure, along with everything else. Because again, I don't think that they're primarily to blame. I think it is about the promoters, Live Nation, et cetera, et cetera. But I don't know. I, I, I don't think artists can just totally expect just to go to a festival load in play a gig make a million dollars and then leave you know like you're like it is your audience i think there needs to be some level of you know responsibility to your to your fans Mm -hmm. when you're playing a show like this yeah yeah i mean it's right it's sort of the thing where it just feels like kind of hopeless to like just throw like at this point as you know but as more will be revealed we will find where the failures happened and it'll be you know just it'll be just sad and uh, demoralizing on all ends, but you know, hopefully, I don't know. Like, I think it just it just kind of signifies that um, the festival experience, by and large, is absolutely dehumanizing and miserable for most people. And so, it hopefully will allow us to you know reassess our uh, relationship with festivals, which unfortunately, so many bands at the indie level, not the Travis Scott level, kind of need to sustain themselves. So. Uh, it's just frustrating right now to think like, is there a better way to do this? And maybe thinking I have no fucking clue. Yeah. I mean, and I saw a tweet about this last week that I thought it made a great point that, um, I think for us as music fans, we have to remember that we're part of a collective Mm -hmm. in an audience that it's not just about you and your friends. And, uh, if you go to a festival or a concert, you have to think of all these people you're with, even if they're strangers, you're, you're part of the same organism and you need to take care of each other. Um, and uh, I just feel like maybe that gets forgotten sometimes. Uh, and it's all about like what you want to do and it doesn't really matter if someone else gets hurt. Yeah. Um, and, and maybe that is, as you're saying, part of the environment that you're in, that the environment encourages that. And there's not this community building that I think really needs to be there for these events to really come off and to be enjoyable for everybody. You know, like you, like we, we've all been locked inside for so long. And the great thing about going to a show is that you are with people who like the same band and you can feel united with other people and and not alone and trapped in your house. And uh, I think if that feeling is there, maybe things like this don't happen. Yeah. You know, and, and everyone needs to work together to ensure that that is the case. All right, well, let's get to our mailbag segment. And uh, thank you all for writing in. Uh, if you want to hit us up, we're at IndieCastMailbag at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter at IndieCast1. Um, and our letter today I'm excited about because I think, it, is this our first letter from Chile? It's definitely our first from Chile. I think we've had some South American uh, mailbag before, but this one, yeah, for, I, I think it's, I definitely think it's the first one from Chile. Well, why don't you read this one? All right. So this is from Diego in Chile and uh, he says, Hey guys, I listen to, I listen to the podcast every week when I'm on my way to work. I'm from Chile and love your take on music. Thanks. I have a question for both of you. What's your take about the band Girls? I haven't heard mm. you mention them, and I think they were pretty big during the 2009-2012 era. I love how that's like a very discreet era because it, it totally is. Well, and I wonder too, like if Diego was, uh, you know, an adult during that period, yeah. or, if, or if he's hearing about this after the fact because he's almost making it sound like he was—he's not sure if uh, they were big at that time. Well, Diego, if you're listening to this, and I know you are because you listen every week on your way to work. Hit us up about this uh, crucial information. Yeah, are you middle-aged or are you like like one of these millennials (laughs) or Zoomers? Okay, so uh, Christopher Owens is a great songwriter, but I don't know if he's doing music anymore. Would love to hear your take. All right, so we got – I I feel it was only a matter of time before we got a girl's question. Yeah, you know, and great question, Diego. Thanks again for listening and for writing in. Yeah, and we haven't talked about girls, uh, even though we've talked about – that window of time. Yes. 
And obviously that, you know, we've done a lot of remembering some guys from that period, but yeah. we've not remembered girls yet. Mm. Uh, so, great question. What, what, what's your take on girls? Were you a fan? Um, so, I, I think this was inevitable because, you know, as far as remembering some girls or remembering some guys who happen to be named girls, I think that if we're looking at the very, like, the tail end of the blog rock era, like 2009, 2012, I think girls, like, might be the last of that era. Like, the last band to go from unknown to... Uh, total sensation to playing festivals like it like it shortened the timeline like they kind of came out of nowhere and um they were i would say if not the last one of the last beneficiaries of like the blogs the best new music pipeline um i liked album i thought uh hellhole rat race was you know just like a great kind of mock spiritualized song um and you know when album came out lust for life is kind of a classic of its time um, you know, there's just some really good songs, just like a solid, uh, classic rock influence album that, you know, it, it, it hit the mark. I don't feel any strong emotions towards it, but you know, I, I really enjoyed it. But do you remember what that guy from Pitchfork? It was a, it was very high. I think they were also like one of the last bands to get like a nine plus on their debut, right? 9.1 for album. Yeah. They had an EP after that. Which I don't remember the title of. Carolina 8. was 7. on that that album. That's a good song too. That's an eight point seven. <laughs> yeah. uh, their and then their last album, Father Son Holy Ghost, nine point three. Wow. Okay. And then that album is where things started to kind of turn. Where it's like, okay, I enjoy this hype band. Um, I'll throw this these songs on a few mixes to the point where. I remember hearing Father, Son, Holy Ghost and thinking, this is such bullshit. Like, this is a bullshit rock record. You know, we have Celebration Rock and we have and we have Bullshit Rock. Um, these, <laughs> those are the two modes of discussion here on IndieCast. But I think what, what when I listened to that record, and mind you, I haven't really visited revisited it in the time since. I probably should. Maybe I'd have like a softer opinion to it aside from the hype. But it seemed to me like... Uh, it's like that that spinal tap like discussion where I, I can't I'm gonna paraphrase it's like I couldn't tell if it was like dumb or like real dumb uh, some of these songs like it just seemed to me that the fine line like, between clever and stupid yeah is the that's spinal it tap quote. yeah it just seemed to me it's like uh, you know these were songs that did the, the degree of separation between them and like Wolf Mother or Kings of Leon was a little unclear and. I do think that girls were a very self-aware band, but I just think that there was this projection of this innocent wisdom, thanks to Chris Owens' uh, narrative, that I don't think was particularly <laughs> deserved. Um, yeah, and- I'm. By the way, I should say that the name of the EP between the two albums is "Broken Dreams Club." Yeah, uh, which dropped in 2010. Uh, the first girls' album was was '09, and then Father, Son, Holy Ghost was 2011. So they had that run of about three years where they really were one of the most critically acclaimed indie rock bands on the planet. And yeah. then they broke up pretty soon after that. And um, in a way, they've been erased from the narrative. I feel like yeah. they did not get talked about really at all, which is strange when you actually go back and you see how acclaimed they were in the moment. And I remember them being. A very beloved band at around that time. And I remember that because they were maybe the number one band that I did not get. Wow. I'm surprised to hear that. I was, I, I thought Christopher Owens was like the epitome of the hipster doofus caricature. He just seemed to have all of the qualities, if you want to use the word qualities, uh, that, people attributed to hipsters back then like all the most odious things wow and uh and i remember seeing them uh around that time on a bill with dumb dumb girls <laughs> and i was much more excited to see dumb dumb girls and by the way i will be good I album 2010 really good record um and you know I actually revisited album after getting this question (laughs) because I wanted to just see how I felt. And I like it a little bit more now because like you mentioned the narrative with Christopher Owens, like wasn't he raised in a religious cult? Yeah, That was the thing with him. Um, I always hated his voice 
and I still don't really like his voice. Yeah. There's something about it that is so callow to me. And again, it just he just looked like a dude that you would see, you know, in Brooklyn at, you know, some shitty all ages venue that's totally overrated. <laughs> and uh you just be you just feel your skin crawling as soon as like he would open his mouth. You know, it, it just seems so empty to me. I just didn't really connect with him as a, as a front man or as a personality. I think musically there's some good things there. I yeah. think who, who's the guitar player, J.R. Smith. J.R. J.R. Smith is a completely different <laughs> dude. Uh, it's uh, J.R. White, a uh, really great. J.R. Smith is the basketball player, J.R. Smith right? is uh, the basketball player. And Wouldn't it, it be great? Chet, I wish it was him. Yeah, Chet White, uh, Chet J.R. White, he unfortunately passed away last year. Uh, yeah. I liked what he did in that band. I liked the, I mean, that, I think he was clearly, like the guitar parts on album i think are pretty production good. was fantastic too it, it it just sounds like there's a lot of things in there that i like but i but just owens to me uh was a big just no yeah. for me i was just not on board with him i'm gonna go on a quick tangent here because this girl's question i was thinking like oh i wasn't into girls at this time but like what bloggy band <laughs> with you know jangly guitar pop like what like what band like that was i into and i i remembered that it was the smith westerns ah yes smith westerns were my girls like smith westerns i think were pretty critically acclaimed <laughs> yeah they, they were they didn't have the same kind of heat that that uh, girls got um but i think that their first two records the self-titled record which i i think was also 09 might have been 08 yeah that sounds about and, right die like die it not diet like diet yeah that was 2011 yeah yeah that was around the same time that uh father son holy ghost came out for for girls i listened to diet blonde this morning that album weekend holds up. man that, that uh, there's some bangers on there it's got a great all die kind of t-rex yeah yeah it's like a t-rex kind of early 70s george harrison vibe to it and uh of course uh one of the dudes in that band went on to form whitney your favorite yeah. group of all time yes um, I mean, is Smith Westerns now like a footnote to Whitney? I mean, do people remember Smith Westerns? I have a lot of love for Smith Westerns still. I remember seeing them. It might have been their last tour. Um, and it's one of the drunkest shows I've ever been to. It just, it <laughs> you was were so them. drunken. Well, it might have been both. But I mean, they were, they. I mean, because those guys, I think when they started that band were still in high school. Yeah, like, that was like, the, that was the thing about them. They were like kind of the opposite of girls in that like they were instead of being in a cult, they were just like these, you know, young rapscallions who were bringing back like rock. Uh, and on it, like it, not, this band could not exist in 2021. Like, I, I think they were a band that like broke up before something inevitably bad would have happened. Yeah. I mean, they kind of had that vibe of, you know, again, just being really young guys, enjoying being yeah, in a rock band. Like the Orwells, you know, a, a rightfully well, canceled band. <laughs> Let's not put yeah. them in the Orwell's okay. camp. You know, they might have you know, they might have just been more innocent. We don't know. Yeah, we knows. don't know. But just based on the records, um Diet Blonde, and I guess this would be the tenth anniversary of that record this year. So uh yeah. go back. It's crazy that that record's ten years old now. Um, but uh yeah, I don't know. For me, I mean, I look, I'll do respect to Diego, our listener. <laughs> Diego's a big girls fan. I'm still not really that big of a fan. I would just say to Diego, if you if you haven't dug into Smith Westerns, maybe check that out. It's a, it's a similar kind of vibe, I think, to girls. Mm-hmm. Um, just a little younger. Maybe the thing with Smith Westerns, to go back to your point, is that like they were dumber, <laughs> which made them better. Yeah. You know, they were like a young dumb rock band, and they were like really fun to listen to. Yeah. Also, maybe the fact they were like from Chicago and not like uh, the West Coast maybe did it for you. That's right. Blue Collar, Real America, yeah. The Heartland, all that stuff. Chicago, yeah. Chicago. Uh, well, let's get to the meat of our episode. We have two big records to talk about this week. Our first is called Crawler oh. by a band called Idols. Uh, this is a post-punk band from Bristol, England. Uh, their first album, Brutalism, dropped in 2017. Uh, but it was their second record, Joy as an Act of Resistance, that was the breakout um, although I would argue, and we'll get into this as we get into our conversation about idols, that as their popularity exploded after that album, it was really more about their live show, I think, than their records. Certainly their mm-hmm. records have been popular, but you know, 
Idols is one of those bands that you know they played at a lot of festivals. You can go on YouTube, you can see what they do live. I I think that if you're gonna make a case for Idols, I'm more amenable to people saying that they're a great live band mm-hmm. than they're a great band on record mm-hmm. because their albums I've always had issues with, <laughs> and some of those issues I have with Crawler. Although I will say at the top that I think I like this album the most out of any Idols record, and it's because this album is the most musically diverse yeah. that they've put out. And in this in the world of Idols albums, that's not saying much. You know, <laughs> it's not like they're making like a drum and bass record, you know, they're not bringing in banjos or well, anything like that. I mean, they brought in Kenny Beats like this uh EDM slash rap producer. So they they've made efforts, I think. Yeah, but I mean, there's no real discernible Okay, yeah. I know I know I know they've ta- I know Joe Talbot who's the lead singer, he's talked about hip hop being an inspiration. Of course. I don't know if you would, would necessarily know that listening to the record. Yeah. I would you know on this album, they do downshift into moodier songs. Like on the first track on the record, Joe Talbot actually sings instead of doing his usual, you know, barking gym teacher <laughs> act, you know? Um, and he sounds like Mark Lanigan. Oh. On the first track, sort of like an undead, cool, rock guy croon type voice. And like there's another song on the record, uh, that reminds me of like Interpol, like if they went to the gym a lot. Uh, you <laughs> See, know, this sounds like this sounds like I would really like it. <laughs> uh, and so there's things like that that mix it up with the sort of usual shouty punk pop, uh, post punk songs that they do. I don't know. <laughs> I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this because you've been you like to make fun of this. I band. love to make I mean, fun of this band and like I. I got to say, like, this is probably the most um, nervous I've been before doing our pod because Idols, and I think this plays into, like, why they're so fun to make fun of on Twitter, is that, like, aside from, like, Coldplay and, like, the real A-listers we've discussed here, like, I think I know more people in real life who like this band than any other we've discussed. Like, any rock show I've been to in the past several years, uh, there's probably going to be some Idols shirts in there. Um, yeah, yeah, their, their footprint huge. in the rock world is, is bigger than it is in the music press. Like, they're under-discussed in terms of, like, how popular you see, they are. I don't know about that because I think they're the sort of band where um, it's, like a, it's, it's like a vocal minority against them. Like, you look at, like, uh, a Resistance is a Form of Joy. That album was, like, extremely critically acclaimed. And that's when they started to go from this you know, this post-punk uh, British band to one that was easy to mock because what what turned for them is I, I just see them as such a, in the same way that like girls like defines the tail end of the blog rock era. If you look at like 2018 and 19, like where they really started to become not just a popular rock band, but like maybe one of the most popular rock bands to emerge from indie rock or like the indie the the indie sphere, if you will, um, that like be, that's between like when the year Trump got elected and like there were protests every weekend. I remember going to them and 2020, where George Floyd and COVID, there were protests in the streets. Then I think now that we have like some distance between from like 2018 and 19, like that was the peak of resistance pop culture. Like I, I say, resistance with a hashtag. Uh, like this is when people started to get kind of like weary and maybe recognize there was only so much they could do. And it was just cool to see people who reflected our politics in pop culture. Like that was the best we could do. Like all of a sudden enjoying like Lizzo's music was revolutionary in its own way. And these guys really showed their hand. They called the album resistance as a form of joy um and they, it's joy is a form of resistance joy okay yeah sorry joy is a form of resistance. same idea yeah same exact same idea. idea and you know they would have these lyrics like i'm like stone cold steve austin i put homophobes in coffins like this kind of like these guys want to be con- like i don't disagree with any of their politics whatsoever like yes homophobes are bad immigrants can be good uh anti-immigration is bad uh, toxic masculinity is bad, but they put it forth in a way that made them seem kind of smug and self-congratulatory. Like, look at us, we're challenging toxic masculinity. It was like the sort of thing, 
it, it was the feeling I would have when I would like watch the daily show or John Oliver in 2018. And it, people wanted to think of it as like revolutionary when it just felt so impotent and futile to me, you know, like, yeah. I mean, that's been the thing that people who don't like this band really go after. Absolutely. Are are the lyrics, which is, it is a very easy target and we haven't even quoted some of the, Oh my God. These We got to do this right now. Cause like, I think that it's, it may seem like we doff protest too much, but I mean, uh, this snowflake is an avalanche was one of them. There was one on the last <laughs> record where he says, like, you say my race is not suitable. So I raise my pink fist and say black is beautiful. Like, yeah, that's the one. That's, that's the, like, the one. That's the worst. That's the worst one. You know, but just to balance this out a little bit, because I will say <laughs> that as a live band, I understand like why people. Love Absolutely. And, and I And I think. When you see them live, it does mitigate some of the weaknesses of the record. Because to me, the weak link in this band is the lead singer. <laughs> but, um, I don't, I don't like his voice, and I don't like his lyrics. Aside from that, his, yeah, <laughs> I think his performance style is very hectoring and strident, um, and it just gets on my nerves. Whereas I do like the guitar player, Mark Mark Bowen, who has sort of an Angus Young style act, where he'll go around stage in his underwear, doing duck walks, playing the guitar. You know, and the rhythm section is like really hyperactive and flailing and, you know, really energetic. And I like those aspects of the band. You know, I, I reviewed this album for Uproxx and I made this comparison and I'm curious to hear what you think. Because I realized while listening to this record that Idols is essentially the post-punk Mumford and Sons. <laughs> in that, Wait a in minute. Well, hold on. I got to like, I got to challenge this because did that guy get kicked out of Mumford and Sons for being alt-right? <laughs> Well, I, this is setting aside the political Okay, issues. gotcha. The, um, the notable political views of Mumford & Sons. <laughs> I, I, I made the comparison in this sense that like Mumford & Sons, when they rose to prominence in the late aughts and early 2010s, it was mainly, I think, on the strength of them going on television and doing these really energetic performances that would steal the show. And they were great in like a four-minute dose. Yeah. But if you listen to an entire Mumford & Sons record, you realize that they only really had one level of musicality that it would everything would start at 11 and it would explode into an anthem and they didn't really have any kind of other tricks in their arsenal and i think idols has a similar problem in that if you see them in a four minute clip on youtube you think wow this is a great band yeah this is bringing real rock back but if you listen to like an entire record for me i just get exhausted and i find them to be a suffocating band because i don't think they have much range, and I don't think there's much di- like dynamics in their music. And I think they are trying to rectify that on the new record, mm. because some records start at 8, not at 11. <laughs> you, know? you know what I mean? Like, like most of their records, every song is at 11. But some of these are like, well, we'll start at 7 or 8, and then we'll eventually build up to 11. So like, relative to what else they've done, it feels... A little less in your face, yeah, and a little less one note. So that would be a positive thing I'd say about this record. But I still feel like, for the most part, I don't think that albums are like the ideal venue for this band. I think if you want to appreciate this band, go see them at a festival. I don't think that they're well served by their records because, again, I just find them to be incredibly one note mm. and um, and exhausting yeah. you know even though they're not that long they feel like a slog yeah I, I think with them it's like they're a rare band that we discuss here where it's like no i actually rather see them in a festival setting so it cuts against like the things that bother me on the record and yeah i just think they kind of fill a void right now for people like this is a band that appeals to people who haven't found a heck of a lot to like about rock music in the past couple of years so I maybe right. I, I think it I, I think what they've done in releasing two albums in the past two years is expedite the process of getting to a space where they're just no longer easy to make fun of and maybe we can just kind of appreciate and respect what they do rather than just kind of keep yeah. bashing on them. You know, the, the, the Muse reached that point on their last album. So yeah, maybe 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 Idols is just kind of tweeting through it right now. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, we've talked on this show about how aggressive music has pretty much gone away in mainstream indie rock, like the most popular acclaimed artists. There's not really any trace of 
aggression in what they do. So in that respect, to your point, I think Idols does serve that audience. It who does. Maybe listens to a band like The War on Drugs and they're like, this is too mellow for me. I need a guy yelling at me about immigration for 40 minutes. You know, like that's something that's going to make me excited. And I can see like why, why that would be the case. I, I, I totally get the appeal. I would just say again, I'd rather see this band live. Yeah. Then listen to their records. We we don't need this when a new Gang of Youth album's been re- when been announced. You know what I mean? <laughs> exactly. Well, let's move on to the second record we're going to be reviewing today, which is Th- "Things Take Time, Take Time" by Courtney Barnett, who, of course, has been one of the most acclaimed singer songwriters in the indie realm over the past decade. Um, although, and I think you would agree with me on this, it seems like she doesn't get quite the same amount of attention that she did say in the mid 2010s. And, you know, I just want to say at the start that I think that this new record is the best thing that she's done since the mid 2010s. Um, I really like this record a lot. That, that, that was a big wind up for a qualified bit of praise. Well, you know, I mean, look, her big breakthrough, you know, was her 2015 record. Uh, sometimes yeah. I sit and think, and sometimes I just sit. You know, that was a very beloved record. And then I mm-hmm. feel like, you know, she did the record with Kurt Vile, a lot of sea lice, which I think is like a really good record. But then I feel like her 2018 record, uh, "Tell Me How You Really Feel," it seems like the general consensus on that is that it was a disappointment. I, I mean, I know that was well reviewed, but just from talking with other fans of Courtney Barnett, it seems like that album maybe took away some of her momentum a yeah. little bit. Um, and in that time, you know, we, I mean, we, you know, we look at indie rock right now and it is dominated certainly in terms of media coverage by women singer songwriters. You know, we had snail mail. Mm. We talked about her last week. Of course there's Mitski. Mm. She announced a new album this week. That's going to be a huge record. She's co-writing songs with Dan Wilson now of semi-sonic. Oh who, Yeah. I mean, he co-wrote "Someone Like You" with a, with Adele, and I mean, he's written he's written uh, big hits with the Dixie Chicks. I mean, that's like a big time pop hired gun. Yeah, he'll always be the singing in my sleep guy to me, though. All right, closing time, of course. Uh, but you know, you got Phoebe Bridgers, Lucy Dacus, and Julian and Baker, yeah, Julian Baker, and you know, Courtney Barnett. She feels almost like a different generation from those artists, even though she's like basically around the same age. And there is this weird sense that. Um, she's kind of been put to the side from like this generation of artists that people seem to be excited about. I mean, am I wrong on that? Because because I'll say that like again, I like this new record a lot. I still feel like she's like one of the best artists working in this lane mm-hmm. of like sort of wry and melodic, funny, sad, you know, songs mm-hmm. uh, written from you know like this female perspective. I still feel like she's one of the best people doing it, but. My sense is that she's not getting quite the same amount of traction as maybe some of those other artists. Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely appears that way. And then I looked at uh, her Spotify uh, page, and she's still got like 1.3 million monthly listeners. Ray Street, the first single and leadoff track, has two some odd million plays. Like, I think that maybe it is a generational thing um, because, yeah, like that's I. I and I love how like you talked about the mid two thousand tens as like this bygone era, which it totally is. Um, no, Six years ago, yeah. Already. None that, of the artists you know? that we've talked about, aside maybe from Julian Baker, that was when uh, Sprained Ankle came out. But um, yeah, I, I think that like Courtney Barnett, even back then, seemed resistant to parasocial kind of uh, relationship with the listener. Um, in a way, like she always just kind of seemed like rem- a little bit removed or above it. Um, and I also think that um, she does write from this very wry perspective, uh, but it's not about necessarily like relationships or even, you know, even though her best song is called Depressed In, it's not totally about depression in the way that it's experienced really on Twitter. Um, and so I think even from the jump, she there was just like this level of removal from hype, even though she was one of the most hype people um, of that era. And yeah, I do think the second album maybe took a little bit of the momentum out of her. Uh, and also it kind of confirmed that she was in a similar way to idols, like a band, someone that people like who maybe don't keep up with uh, the latest micro trends. And I think this album, this new album, um, it really kind of moves to the rhythm of like, uh, you know, pandemic living. Like I, I listened to it 
uh, when I listen to it while eating breakfast and walking my dog. And I think that's the pace that uh, Courtney Barnett uh, is best suited for. You know, I don't have like these big um, cathartic emotional experiences, nor do I think it's meant to do that. And I think that's maybe why uh, this doesn't quite feel as urgent in, ter- in, in, in the scope of uh, indie rock right now. Yeah, you know, it's funny because it, just to your point about her shunning hype, you know, we, we talk on this show about the cult of personality that exists now with the biggest stars in indie rock, mm-hmm. that it is very similar to pop stardom now, where when you have a new record from someone like Mitski, it's not just about the record. It's about what people are projecting onto her right. as a persona. And Courtney Barnett doesn't have a persona. You know, she, I think she does, goes, just not one that, like, in a way, it's more relatable. Yeah, it's not as uh, heightened. You know, yeah. it's not, uh, she's not the kind of artist that people are going to say, you know, run me over a truck, Courtney <laughs> Barnett. It'd be more like, let's get a coffee, Courtney Barnett. Yeah. Let's uh, let's go shopping together, Courtney Barnett. Um, and I don't know if that explains why I think her audience is older than someone like Phoebe Bridgers or Mitski. It seems like their audience is pretty young, you know, young 20-somethings, maybe even teenagers, whereas Courtney Barnett, and I could be totally wrong here, but based on when I've gone to her shows, it's like 50-year-old guys who like craft beer. Yeah, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. (laughs) You know, and look, and I'm not taking any shots because I'm like, you know, in... We are the audience. Yeah, but I'm, you know, I'm I'm closer to that than I am to a 20-year-old person. Um and there is something almost old school about her in that regard. You know, she made that record with Kurt Vile, and I think Kurt is a similar type of personality where I just want to make records, and mm-hmm. I'm not really going to engage in tweeting a lot like like a Phoebe Bridgers would, or you know, playing the game of having people relate to me as a as a character, mm-hmm. um, which. I totally respect, although I, I feel like in the modern era, sometimes that might do a disservice to someone like mm. Courtney Barnett because I think there's a perception that maybe she's not as interesting as some of these other artists or that her music is more staid or even dull. Mm. And I don't think that's true at all. I, this record to me, look, I'm going to speak in the parlance of Courtney Barnett's songs out here because I know the people who are going to be most interested in hearing about this record. Like, I would say that every song on this record either sounds like Avant Gardner and that it's like a spacey jam with cool guitar parts, or it's like Depreston, where it's like a minor key song that gives you like a really good character study in the space of about three minutes. You know, it's almost like every other song is either Avant Gardner or Depreston, you know, songs that will remind you of that. And I think in the parlance of, of Courtney Barnett's songs, if this is an artist you like, I do think that this is going to be a record that hits you more than, say, the last record did. I, I really do think that this is uh, a record that sits more comfortably next to sometimes I sit and think and sometimes I just sit. So for all those people out there, crack open that craft beer <laughs> and put on this record. I think you'll enjoy it. All right, we've now reached the part of our episode that we call Recommendation Corner, where Ian and I talk about something that we're into this week. Ian, why don't you go first? All right, so it's so rare that I get to hype up uh, local San Diego bands, um, so I'm really stoked to talk about uh, CU Space Cowboy. This is like, you want the exact opposite of Courtney Barnett. Uh, this is not chill. This is not uh, measured. This is uh, just leave it all out there, Sasscore. Now, I think I have to explain to our IndieCast audience what Sasscore is. Um, Imagine like Blood Brothers or AFI, uh, but just times two and combined. Uh, They're a band that's been around for a while. Um, They released a new album called The Romance of Affliction uh, last week. And um, it's a record about the front woman, uh, Connie Scarbosa. I'm going to pronounce that name as best as I can. Uh, She... Uh, struggled a lot with addiction about mental health problems and after the album was released um, or after the album was finished she uh, OD'd on her couch but uh, rather than like rather than saying like maybe I need to change my ways which you know I think that she is doing so it kind of in her words kind of justified her decision to make a very dark and angry record about like 
the kind of hopelessness of addiction. Um, this is a real acquired taste. If you watch the videos, they are very much 2005, 2007 MySpace in terms of dress and the kind of overdramatic, uh, you know, intentionally melodramatic song titles. But I also think it's one of the most interesting and surprisingly catchy, heavy, uh, very abrasive rock records of the past year. If you're if you have like any opening for this type of music, this is uh, going to really just knock you off your fucking feet. So um, very much on brand with that one. But see you, Space Cowboy. I'm a little disappointed they're doing a massive uh, American tour, but not coming to San Diego. Maybe there's something. Oh there. man, yeah, I know, right? This in San Diego. Hate to see it on this show. Um, the band I'm going to talk about is called Nation of Language. This is an indie rock trio from Brooklyn that formed in 2016. They put out a debut record last year called Introduction Presence. Uh, and I know for me personally, this record got lost in the shuffle a little bit. I'm going to blame the pandemic for that. Although I know some critics were on top of this band, uh, most notably Ryan Lease over at Stereo Gum. Mm-hmm. Shout out to Ryan. Um, they put out a new record uh earlier this month called A Way Forward. And this record I have not slept on. In fact, I've been listening to it pretty much nonstop for the past week or so. And it's just a really catchy collection of synth rock songs. And if you are into things like Kraftwerk or early Depeche Mode, uh, this is going to be right up your alley. I know that they've also cited Orchestral Maneuvers in the Dark as an influence. Uh, So it has, again, really cool vintage synth tones. But, you know, anyone can plug in one of these old synths and and get cool sounds you do have to have good songs at the end of the day and i think that they really do deliver these are just really melodic again catchy songs and uh, i've just had it on a loop so i really recommend this record again it's called a way forward uh and the band is called nation of language what stands out to me about this record is that if it really were 2009 2012 this would not be an under the radar record. No, this is like huge. old school Brooklyn Brooklyn buzz band. Like play CMJ, kill it at CMJ, do the three PM set at Pitchfork Festival type band. Yeah, so really, this band, you know, they might be contextualized by some as like a throwback to the seventies, but they're really a throwback to the late aughts. Yes. I think. <laughs> I think we can we can call them remembering some guys core. Thank you again for listening to this episode. We'll be back with more news and reviews and hashing out trends next week. And if you're looking for more music recommendations, sign up for the Indie Mixtape Newsletter. You can go to uprocks.com backslash indie, and I recommend five albums per week, and we'll send it directly to your email box.